Well, it's good to be with you this Lord's Day afternoon. May God's love be with you all. If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. As you know, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and we are in the upper room with the disciples and Jesus. I want us to remember where we are in this story because it's easy to get lost week to week and forget where we are. So let me just refresh your memory. It is night. We're hanging out with Jesus in the upper room. It is the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And Jesus is giving his disciples the, the last and final words that he's going to speak to them before he is arrested and crucified. These are the words that he wants them to know more than any other words. These are the things they will need to know and believe and do in their life and ministry long after he is gone. And since these are things that we need to hear as well, I encourage you once again to pay close attention to the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this story. Our sermon text for today is John 14, 15 to 31. If you are willing and able, please stand and listen to the Word of God with all of your heart. God's Word says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him forever. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, 
may be seated. Now, I don't know how you feel about this story, but it feels to me like the longer we linger in the upper room, the worse things get. The longer we linger in the upper room, the lower we sink in the mire. The mood in the room just keeps changing from bad to worse. And so far, this last, this last Passover meal, which is supposed to be a festive occasion, has turned out to be a real downer. Everybody's supposed to be having a good time, except Jesus keeps talking like it's the end of the world. He is troubled in spirit, and then his disciples are troubled in spirit. And he keeps bringing up all of these dark things like betrayal and denial, and how he will only be with them a little while longer, and then go away, and how they can't come with him. And even though he's promised to prepare a place for them, and then come back and take them with him, all they can hear is that he is going to abandon them. After all they gave up to follow him, after all that they've been through together, now he tells them that he is going to leave them. You and I can relate to the, to the disciples at this point. We've all been in situations like this where someone we love just up and decides out of the blue to leave. And all of the reasons they give, all of the reasons in the world don't amount to a hill of beans. No matter how legit or how crazy the reasons might be, at the end of the day, we are left with one heartbreaking fact. And that is that they are leaving us and we are staying behind without them. I don't need to remind you of this, but it seems the right thing to do to remind you of this. And as you know, I am not Jesus, uh, so take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. I just simply want to say that I can relate to him in a small way in this story. Over the course of my ministry, I've had the unpleasant experience of announcing my departure and bidding farewell to various people that I've loved and served on at least six occasions. And i got to tell you that it never feels good, it never feels right to do that, and it takes takes a long time to get over the grief and over the guilt that comes with going away. And I think that's sort of what's going on in this upper room. Jesus is troubled. The disciples are troubled. There's going to be a breach, a, a break, a tearing apart, a breaking of the fellowship, so to speak. And Jesus is doing his dead level best as a pastor to comfort and console these heartbroken guys. And yet... It seems that confusion and chaos just keep creeping into their hearts. And so what does Jesus do? He reminds them to keep his commandments. That seems like such an odd thing to do, but here's why he does it, I think. Because doing what he commands will fortify their hearts and will keep them from sinking into self-pity. In other words, obeying his commands will help them fight off all of these doubts and fears and worries that are crowding their hearts. And it will help them fight for each other. It's by nature that we want to turn inward and cave in on ourselves, but it's only by grace that we turn outward. 
So what Jesus is doing by reminding his disciples to keep his commandments is he is actually trying to turn them inside out in the best possible way. Jesus' commands to us cause us to be extrospective and prevent us from becoming introspective. In other words, they cause us to look out there at each other and not just in here at what's happening inside of our hearts. Does that make sense? Now, I titled the sermon Love and Peace or Else after a U2 song because... I listened to way too much U2, but also because love and peace happen to be the major themes in this story, as you heard in the reading. I want us to explore both love and peace in the story, but more importantly than all of that, I want us to experience love and peace in the Holy Spirit as Jesus reveals to us in this story. So let's look at love first. The word love appears in this story some ten times. And more times than not, it is connected with keeping Jesus' commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. Whoever does does not love me, does not keep my words. The point is that the kind of love that Jesus requires is both relational and practical, but not necessarily emotional. And this, this is what bothers people about Jesus sometimes. Now, it doesn't mean that feelings are unimportant or irrelevant. It simply means that the way you feel about Jesus at any given moment is less important and less relevant than the way you live for Jesus at any given moment. The fact is, sometimes you feel like obeying Him, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes your heart is troubled, and your spirit is agitated, your mind is confused, your will is contrary to His. You feel conflicted. Should I obey, or should I not obey? Am I right? Or am I the only one who feels this way? But if you truly love Jesus, you will do what He commands, whether you feel like it or not. And that does not make you a legalist, by the way. If you think, I'm going to wait until I feel it and then do it, and that will make me an evangelical Christian, you're missing the point of following Jesus. It's not about how you feel about it. I hope you feel good about it, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes we hate doing the right thing, right? So Jesus is saying to these guys who are troubled, obey my commands. Do what I've called you to do. And it is in willing to do the right thing that we often discover that our feelings change for the better. This past week, Shannon and I were on our way to an after-school program. We'd been volunteering for this, and it, we hadn't talked about it, but it turns out that neither of us really wanted to go on Thursday. We had a thousand other things to do, but we decided we're going to go anyway. We've made a commitment, so we drive over there, and it's too hot, and why isn't the cool weather here, and the kids are loud, and as soon as we get in, we think, we're so happy that we did this. Sometimes willing to do the right thing helps you discover 
that your feelings are changing for the better. Now, some of us hear Jesus talk about commandment and we cringe. We hear the word commandment, we cringe. Why? Well, if we're going to be very honest, it's because we don't like anyone telling us what to do. But if we want to mask all of that, we say, well, commandments are heavy burdens that we have to carry around. They're too hard. Or if we're really trying to be smart and spiritual, we might say, I'm not a legalist. Don't give me commandments. I'm not a legalist. I just want to follow the Spirit's leading. <clears throat> but if that's our attitude, that is not love for Christ. It's simply love for me, myself, and I. Those who live that way do not really and truly love Jesus, at least not the real Jesus. The real Jesus that we meet in this story gives us real commands that He really and truly expects us to keep for His glory and for our good. But I want to narrow it down for you and highlight what Jesus means by keep my commandments. Just stay in the upper room and remember what Jesus has said in the upper room. These are the commandments He has laid down. Wash one another's feet. Do as I have done to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. Ask me for anything. It's not exactly a command, but I'm going to roll it in there. These commandments are not heavy legalistic burdens, but you see they are light gospel-centered comforts that He's given to us. So if you truly love Jesus, you will serve one another and take care of each other especially in the hard times. And if you truly love Jesus, you will trust God together, especially in those sad and scary moments. And if you truly love Jesus, you will pray together for one another, especially in the dark night around you. These words of Jesus are spirit and they are life. Now, why are these practical and relational expressions of love so important? Three reasons. One, it is through them that Jesus Christ is manifested among us. When we keep His commandments in this way, His Word is made flesh among us, in us, and through us. Second, it is through these expressions of love, that we prove our love for Jesus. And the Father loves the one who loves His Son. So if you want God the Father to love you, you must love His Son Jesus. And if you love His Son Jesus, then you're going to obey His Word, which He received from His Father. It's that simple. So don't try to disregard His Word and then declare your love for Him. Don't ignore His commandments and then talk about how much you love Him. It just won't fly. And third, it is through these practical and relational expressions of love that we actually prepare a place for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit among us, both as individuals and as a community. 
Jesus has promised to prepare a place for us, but notice in this story that he also expects us to prepare a place for God as well. So when we keep Jesus' commandments, when we wash each other's feet, when we love one another, when we trust God, we are actually making ourselves ready to live in communion with God, to share a sacred dwelling place with Him in deep fellowship. Now, there's something truly mystical about that, about the inner relationship of us living in God and God living in us and all of us living together in fellowship. But don't let that wreck you. Let that drive you to worship God. Now, if these reasons don't move you to keep Jesus' commandments, I don't know if anything will. These are pretty good reasons to obey His Word. But I want to give you one more. Another reason to express your love in practical and relational ways is that it actually promotes unity and peace among God's people. It's been my experience among God's people through the years that when people love one another as Jesus loved them, there are fewer and fewer conflicts and controversies. You've experienced this in your marriage. You've experienced this in your families. You've experienced this at the workplace or in your schools. And we've all experienced this in our little congregation over the last decade. The more we imitate Jesus' love, the happier and the healthier we become. And that is shalom in the true biblical sense of the word. And that brings us to peace. In this story, Jesus says that peace is something he gives you. It's a gift of grace. And you see that peace comes after love in the story. It comes after love in life because peace is actually established by love. You've seen the bumper sticker, no love, no peace, right? No Jesus, no peace. Well, peace comes after love also because peace is a reward for obedience. Peace is a reward for obedience. Throughout the scriptures, peace is granted to those who love and obey the Lord. For example, in the book of Numbers, the Lord gave his covenant of peace to a man and his descendants after him because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel by doing a very hard thing for the Lord. Later on in the book of Isaiah, we see that the people sang a hymn that goes, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And as good as those things are, there is something even better at work in this story. When Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, every man in the upper room should have sat up and taken notice that Jesus was echoing the ancient priestly benediction. You've heard it many times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Not only is Jesus echoing that benediction, he is now fulfilling that benediction. After all of those years of the priest 
praying and offering that benediction. Now the Lord is answering the prayer as the Prince of Peace who will reign forever, whose reign of peace will have no end. This is not a temporal worldly peace, but an eternal heavenly peace, a supranatural peace that comes by knowing that God is sovereign over all things whatsoever that come to pass, that comes by trusting that God works all things together for His glory and for the good of those who love Him. Now, at first glance, Jesus' words, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, might seem like two more commands, two more things to do. And if you're like me and you already struggle to keep the other commandments, throwing two more commandments on top of the pile can actually raise your level of stress and anxiety. Here you are in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trouble, and Jesus gives you two more things to do. It can seem that way. On the other hand, if these are just more commands, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, it can actually come across as sort of cold and callous. Doesn't Jesus see what we're going through? Doesn't He understand? Night is upon us. Everything feels like it's unraveling. The world is coming to an end. And He wants to give us two more things to do. You know what it's like. If you're troubled, if you're upset, the very last thing you want anyone to tell you is calm down. Am I right? Ladies, am I right? Believe me, I know this because I've made that mistake more than once. You don't tell people who are troubled and upset to calm down. It kind of seems, if you read it one way, it kind of seems Jesus might be doing that. But I want to put your minds at ease and show you that that's not what He's doing. Remember this about Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is Wonderful Counselor. The words, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, are not demands for the disciples to keep. They are actually desires for the disciples to experience. In other words, Jesus is not giving the disciples more things to do. He's not just telling them to calm down and take a chill pill. He's giving them less to do by taking away their troubles. He is not trying to harm them. He is trying to help them. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, should be heard in this way as his prayer for these men who are troubled. Think of it like this. You know the story of when Jesus calmed the stormy sea by the power of his word and he said, peace, be still, and everything was calm? So now in the upper room, he is calming the storm inside their hearts by the power of His Holy Spirit. Peace be still. The love and the peace that Jesus expects His disciples to manifest cannot come from their flesh. It cannot come out of their own will and desire. It can only come from the work of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to this this beautiful statement Jesus makes about the Holy Spirit. 
It's been a while since we heard anything about the Spirit in John's Gospel. I remind you that early on in the story, we saw the Spirit descend on Jesus and remain with Him. And then Jesus said, no one can experience or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born from above by the Spirit. And then later we heard Jesus say, the Spirit is the life giver. The flesh counts for nothing. And then finally we heard Jesus cry out that if anyone believes in Him, the Spirit of God will flow out of His heart like streams of living water. And then after that we didn't hear anything about the Spirit until now. So in our time frame it's been since July to put things in perspective. And here in this dark night when things are unraveling, the world is coming to an end, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper so you won't be alone. He looks at a room of men with their pensive, doubting, fearful hearts and He promises to send the Spirit to them. Now the notion of God as helper has its roots in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. Let me give you a few examples of this. The psalmist in one place says, O oh God, the helpless commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Hear, O oh Lord, and be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my helper. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Greek word for helper means something like this. It is someone who calls you to his side, puts his arm around you, and holds you up. Now Jesus knew that the disciples were going to need this kind of supernatural help, especially over the next few hours, the next few days, and the next few years. He's not going to abandon them, leave them as orphans, leave them fatherless. He sends a helper to them. And he said these things to his disciples in the upper room on the night he was betrayed because he knew they were going to need this kind of fortification, this kind of help. Now the Spirit comes and helps the disciples, but the Spirit also comes to help us. What the Spirit gave those men by inspiration, He gives us by illumination. There's going to be more on that later on in our series. But the thing I want you to see is that the Spirit is not just their helper, the helper of the 11 disciples. Judas was gone. The Spirit is also your helper. And here's how. The Spirit helps you by teaching you through the words of the apostles and prophets of Christ. And the Spirit helps you by praying for you in your weakness. And the Spirit helps you by bearing fruit in you, specifically the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, and peace. These things come from the Spirit into your life. The main point to grasp here is that Jesus cared so deeply about His followers that He said to them, I will send you help. I will send you the helper. I will not leave you as orphans. And while they felt like He was going to leave them homeless and leave them alone and abandon them in the night, 
It simply was not the case. Evidence of that is seen in all of the gifts that he lavished upon them that night. He gave them his word. He gave them his love. He gave them his peace. He gave them his spirit. He gave them all these gifts to comfort and console them. And when Jesus gave these gifts, he is not simply giving them things to make them feel better and forget about their pain and sorrow. He is actually giving himself to them giving himself to them to make them trust him even more. He promised to come back and take them away to a sacred home in the new heavens and new earth. But how can they know whether he will keep his promise? And he points to the pledges of grace, his gifts of grace that he has just given them. This is how you know I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my promise. You have my commandments. You have my love. You have my peace. And now you have my spirit. At the end of this story, Jesus makes this cryptic statement about the prince of the world coming. And what we find out is that here, finally, we're reaching the climax of the story. Jesus must go away to a place that they cannot go. And the reason they cannot go is because they cannot endure it. They cannot persevere through it. It is not their battle. Jesus is protecting them and preserving them by keeping them away from this place. The Prince of Peace must go to a garden and confront the Prince of this world in the darkness of the night. He must face betrayal and be arrested. He must stand a mock trial and endure scourging. He must go up to the cross and die. And he must be taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb. He must go and lay down his life for his friends. Jesus must go to a place that they cannot go, that we cannot go. And he says, here are the reasons why he's going to do it. On one hand, so that when all these things take place, you may believe. On the other hand, so that when all these things take place, the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus was doing all of these things. He's going through all of this trouble with his Father's purpose and plan. He's going through all of it for the life of the world. Now, like the disciples, your heart may be troubled now, may be troubled by many different things. Some we know about, some we do not. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be afraid. How do you overcome the trouble and the fear of your heart? By trusting in Jesus Christ. The world may not understand Jesus now. The world may not get what he's up to. But soon the world will know that everything Jesus did, he did because he was driven by love for his Father. He's not an egomaniac. He's not a revolutionary. He's not a narcissist. He's not trying to get attention for himself. He does what he does, did what he did because he loved his Father. Well, to echo Jesus, that's more than enough talk. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give our life to you.
We trust in you, our God. Do not let us be disgraced or let our enemies rejoice in our defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show us the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for us to follow. Lead us by your truth and teach us, for you are the God who saves us. All day long we put our hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of our youth. Remember us in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them His way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep His covenant and obey His demands. O oh God, we pray that You will fill us with love and peace by Your Holy Spirit and grant us the grace to obey Your Word with joy, with hearts full of desire to love You and to keep Your commandments. And we pray that in doing these things, the world may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who loves His Father and that we are His followers who love Him. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.